Radio Mano Papachango. Just got done solo camping out in the sand hills of Nebraska, where the skies are some of the darkest they are in the United States. Uh, the stars in Milky Way were absolutely breathtaking. Chris, keep it up. I can't think of two more important topics than sexuality and drugs slash consciousness. Keep it up, brother. Hey, Chris Ryan. This is Ryan Grissom. Uh... Just wanted to give a shout out, say that I love the podcast, enjoy listening to it at work, just out here growing some marijuana, Troutdale, Oregon, uh, really enjoy the podcast, gets me through the day and keep them coming, they're very helpful, they help me out in life, thank you. Shall we do a, a draft? No, we'll just go straight into it. What up Chris? Hi Chris. <laughs> it's Len and Sarah calling from the UK. We're in Brockenhurst, just enjoying a nice evening out in the tree garden. And uh, <laughs> maybe smoking a few trees of our own. <laughs> we love you. Yeah, love your, love your jam, man. Love Thanks your vibes. Thanks for all your information. <laughs> <laughs> We've both been positively affected by what you're putting out into the universe. And we thank you for it. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for those I love giggly intro snips. You can send yours to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. Uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Also appreciate those of you who support the podcast on Patreon, of course, and on Amazon. And I just wanted to give a special shout out to whomever uh, on November 26th bought... Seven Goal Zero Yeti 1000 Lithium Portable Power Stations because they cost $900 each and 8% of what you spent on Amazon got kicked back to the podcast, which, well, got kicked back to me because Amazon does not support this podcast. Just want to make that perfectly clear, clear that Amazon has absolutely no say whatsoever they don't um support anything that i say but if you happen to listen to this podcast and you happen to be purchasing things maybe for your business or for someone else's business and you're in charge of spending a lot of money and you spend it on amazon and you buy a shit ton of lithium portable power stations for example several hundred dollars could end up in my pocket which enables me to do things like go around and, um, I don't know, meet interesting people. And who knows, those interesting people may actually end up on my podcast, but not directly because Amazon does not support this podcast. I hope I've made that perfectly clear. This episode is with Moto Gypsy. I think her real name is Janelle Katz. It's been a couple months since I recorded this. Uh, 
and the delay has nothing to do with any sort of lack of passion or interest or intensity or urgency. It's mostly just that other people come and they've got a book that's just out or a thing that's happening and, you know, so things get bumped around and moved around. Anyway, Janelle, a.k.a. Moto Gypsy on Instagram, is super cool. She's someone who is leveraging her talents and her beauty and her uh, ability to take great photographs and to go to amazing, cool places to bring attention to environmental issues, particularly the problem of uh, trafficking in wild animals. And uh, I don't remember how she first came to my attention, but she has ridden a motorcycle by herself all over Southeast Asia, I think in Laos mainly. And um, her most recent trip, which we talk about a lot in this episode, was in Colombia. <clears throat> and uh, she was down there for several months uh, riding around through the countryside, lots of remote areas. Super cool woman. Amazing. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm sure you will. Before we get to that, though, some recent news to tell you about. Holy moly, motherfuckers. It was incredible. Today is Saturday. I'm recording this. Uh, Tuesday was the Motherfucker Awards. And I think at this point I can say the first annual Motherfucker Awards because it was such an amazing event um, that I'm pretty sure this is going to keep happening. Kyle and I have, uh, we're still just sort of coming down from the high of the whole thing getting pulled off, but it, it was such a great night. Uh, the crowd was incredible. Some of you listening to this right now were in that crowd Thank you. I love you. I mean, people flew down from Canada. People came in from the East Coast. There was a woman there who flew up from Ecuador. I mean, come on. It was 350 people sold out the, the theater. 350 screaming, laughing, applauding, bird flipping, wonderful people having a ball and then the after party was even crazier. And uh, everybody did a great job. Um, Jade was the, uh, he, he volunteered. He's a guy listening to this podcast. Hey, Jade. He busted his ass. He, he does the, he did the stage design. He did all sorts of event coordination uh, out of the goodness of his heart, volunteering. Um, he worked very closely with Kyle on the whole thing. Um, Ben, who handled, uh, did all this, these live graphic video things. Anyway, all this stuff either already is, or will shortly be up at motherfuckerawards.com. Uh, we've played, we've put a bunch of photographs up already, so you can go there right now, motherfuckerawards.com and see photos from the evening. And, uh, within a week or so of posting this videos should be up as well. Those are being edited right now. It was incredible. The comedians fucking killed. Uh, I mean, I mean, come on. Matt Taibbi presents the Motherfucker of the Year award to Chase Bank. And the award is accepted on behalf of Chase Bank by Moshe Kasher and Natasha Legero, who 
pretend to be the heirs to the Chase fortune and go on this whole riff about how rules don't apply to billionaires, which is why this brother and sister fuck each other. That's the kind of night it was. It was a night that made fun of incest and in which the word motherfucker was used as a um, inoffensive term of endearment for these companies that are fucking the planet. So if you were there, thank you for coming. Uh, I hope you had a good time. I'm pretty sure you did. And if you weren't there, I hope you can come next year because holy fuck was that fun. That was really, really fun. And Kyle gets all the credit. I got to admit, when when the whole thing came together, you know, he and I came up with the idea together and he was like, dude, we should do this. This would be amazing. And I was like, young buck, you should do this. And, uh, you know, I'll make a few calls and I'll uh, help you edit the whatever we need to write. And I'll but, you know, if you want to do this, it's going to be mostly you um because i'm busy i got this book to deal with i got this other shit to do and you know also like you know i'm I'm in my 50s i get to like sit back and let the young people do shit right then slap my name on it isn't that like what happens when you get to be in your 50s anyway that's what happened kyle busted his ass and he pulled it off everything i mean oh i should mention we've got Motherfucker Award bags and Motherfucker Award um, wine cups. He, I mean, this is the shit he did. He, like, got all the swag printed up. Water bottles from Clean Canteen. These insulated, um, I think they're stainless steel wine cups with lids for, like, camping. Um, because we didn't want to have any plastic, obviously, at the event. So everything's reusable um recyclable materials the bags are plastic but they're made of recycled plastic and they're really nice bags actually like shopping bags you know with a wide shoulder strap and all that so uh we got a bunch of those they're donated by the companies and um so we're going to sell that stuff online in order to help pay for this year's motherfucker awards and uh if we end up with some extra cash we'll be paying for next year's motherfucker awards because we've got video editors working. We had, you know, we rented the theater I and mean, there was a lot of expense involved with this. We paid the comedians, um, printed up or, or Kyle had trophies made. Everybody got a trophy and we'll be delivering those trophies to the winners to um, Chase Bank and Tyson Foods and uh, Purdue Pharma and the other um, recipients, the other motherfuckers of the year. And hopefully we'll get uh, get some interesting responses from them. So there's going to be a whole online uh, campaign of uh, bringing attention to the uh, the winners. That's going to happen as soon as we get the videos up and the whole package is ready to go. So I will be talking about that ad nauseum in the future. So I'll shut up about it now. What else? I think that's about it probably. Every time I do one of these intros, I... You know, at the beginning, I think, okay, I should cover these three things. And then I cover two of them and forget the third. I, I, it's like I haven't figured out how to take notes yet. I don't know why. I like the spontaneity. So I'm just going to let go and go right into this thing with Janelle Katz. I thought uh, I would play a song. Um, what's it called? Le Monde est fou. 
I think that's how you pronounce that, more or less. My French is uh, kind of non-existent. The artist is Balatunkara, B-A-L-L-A, and the last name is T-O-U-N-K-A-R-A. And Google Translate tells me that Le Monde des Fous means the world is crazy, which it most certainly is. But I hope it's not crazy where you are or that it's crazy in a way that's um, amusing rather than disturbing. And that's kind of up to us, right? How we frame it, I guess, to some extent. Anyway, I hope things are going great for you out there. Things are looking good in Topanga. Casilda sends her love. She's in Mozambique, which is getting kind of crazy, I guess. Lots of Chinese investment, lots of people getting real rich and everybody else being left behind and worse off than ever, which is kind of how civilization works when you think about it. Anyway, Mozambique is getting civilized to death, is what I hear from Casilda. But she sends all of you her love, and uh, no big news other than that from her. So, hope things are good where you are, and uh, thank you for listening to this podcast, and thank you for being part of this tribe. Once again, the Motherfucker Awards, I got to meet a bunch of you, and fuck, I love you people. Really. Catch you next time. Le monnaie transparera. On dit le monnaie a changé. C'est pas vrai. Le monde n'a jamais changé. Je me réveille le matin, le soleil à sa place, quand je vais au lit, la lune à sa place, le monde n'a jamais changé, c'est nous qui ont changé.
sitting in my living room in Topanga with someone I've wanted to meet for a long time, Janelle, a.k.a. Moto Gypsy. It's Janelle Katz? Kaz, yep. Kaz. Mm-hmm. K-A-Z? Yeah. Okay. I've been following... How did we get in touch? I don't even remember. I started listening to you last fall. Ah, okay. And uh, I heard your episode with Wade Davis. Ah, And right. uh, I was getting ready to go to Columbia. And around the same time I heard your podcast, someone sent me One River in the mail. And so it was like all these, these connections. And so I reached out to Wade Davis, and then I reached out to you just to say thank you, because Wade Davis like shaped my trajectory from the time that I arrived in Columbia. No kidding. Not only reading his book, but being in contact with him and yeah i mean he's such an amazing person i really think he's a living treasure yeah, yeah and aj leon as well from the misfits you know aj yeah how do you know aj uh when i first moved to laos we were building a social business coffee house uh-huh. and the misfits sort of helped us um set that up it's fantastic so yeah cool. we they flew us to milwaukee and uh helped us arrange our crowdfunding and all of it the oh, website that's fantastic mm-hmm. yeah yeah aj's a wild dude yeah i really like aj yeah i, I received a bottle of uh very good whiskey recently from aj of course that yeah. sounds yeah it just <laughs> sounds arrived like on my mother's doorstep wow with a really sweet note 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Definitely. Um, Wade Davis. Yeah, like Wade Davis as your guide to Columbia is kind of, you know, like Santa Claus as your guide to the North Pole. Like, <laughs> like everybody, <laughs> if there's no better guide to that part of the world, probably. I mean, he truly loves Columbia. And so that that feeling sort of was imparted on me and yeah. being able to learn about Schultes and all the ethnobotanical work that's right. been done there. Yeah, it just really fueled my trip. And, you know, the book has sort of become like a, a roadmap of dreams for Colombians yeah. as they are now more free to travel and uh, return to their homelands and discover where they're from. Have you seen the there's a companion photography book? Yes. You've seen that? Lost in the Amazon. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. Schultes yeah. was such an incredible person. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar, Richard Evan Schultes was uh, ethnobotanist at Harvard mm-hmm. for a long time. I think he did his, maybe it was his master's work on peyote use among mm-hmm. Native American groups. Yeah, he used to keep a, a bucket of peyote buttons outside of his door for his office at Harvard. Halloween? And no, for kids, <laughs> <laughs> students, I guess, they could take a peyote button for extra credit. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Like self-experimentation. And this was before Leary and all that stuff yes. happened. So this is yeah. in the 50s, probably, mm-hmm. or even he's, I mean, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah. Uh, he died in the 70s, maybe even early 80s, possibly. Yeah, I think the 80s. But he was this amazing dude. Yeah. So Wade Davis studied with him. Uh, Andrew Weil, who's been mm-hmm. on this podcast, an old friend of mine, studied with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty much anyone who was really interested in the use of um plants particularly in the amazon has has either worked directly with him or benefited from his decades and one river is this fantastic book about the time he spent in the amazon around world war ii when he was researching rubber he was such a badass definitely just i mean he would disappear into the amazon for months and everybody would assume he was dead and then he would emerge with like hundreds and hundreds of species collected yeah new to science yeah Unbelievable. Can you imagine lugging around all that gear? And, you know, he would put that before his own comfort or right. safety. He would send right. those on planes to go to Bogota, where he would stay behind and yeah. wait for the next one. Yeah. Incredible. Plus, he must have been carrying, like, significant camera gear. Because those yeah. photos are beautiful. I right. think they're large format. I yeah. think it was, like, one of those... Definitely. Lots know, of gear. <laughs> he wasn't shooting on an iPhone. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, One River. Fantastic book mm-hmm. uh, written by Wade Davis with the foreword by Andrew Weil, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. So you were sort of... Uh, were you following in, in his footsteps at all, uh, literally, or just sort of figuratively in terms of... Not really. There were a few places that we converged on, like Sibundoy, which is, you know, this mecca for ethnobotanists, because around that area is the highest concentration of psychoactive plants in the world. Really? Yeah. So there's a road through there called El Trampolín de la Muerte, the mm-hmm. trampoline of death. Yeah. And it, you can take that to the end of the world, Fin del Mundo. So as soon as I heard that, I was down to take that road on my motorcycle and went right yeah. through Sibundoy there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about the trip. The, the, the trip to Colombia had a 
purpose. It wasn't just to cruise around and check out Columbia on a motorcycle. Yeah, my mission was to document the positive actions being taken to protect ecosystems and the animals and people who depend on them. Mm. So my focus has been work against the illegal wildlife trade from my time in Asia. This is my first time in Colombia, and um, having a motorcycle and the independence to arrive somewhere on my own, especially remote wildlife rescues and sanctuaries um to have a motorcycle really makes that possible Mm. and i love it i love motorcycle travel i can't live without motorcycles yeah and you rode in asia as well right yeah yeah Yeah. i spent a good chunk of my life in asia um you know buying motorcycles in different countries vietnam and thailand and riding to laos to take part in projects um mostly with education education outreach programs against trafficking in areas where it's rife with poaching and trafficking in animals. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about motorcycles that, that you dig? Oh man. Have you ridden one? Uh, <laughs> I have ridden a lot of them. Yeah. The yeah. freedom that you experience and you know, the ability to go wherever your two wheels can take you and being out in the elements. I mean, yeah, there's nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how to fix them? Yeah, I mean, I've been living on a motorcycle for years now, so once I got rid of all my belongings and just sort of committed to it, like, as I experience problems, thankfully I have a an older brother who's a mechanic, and oh, so when okay. something's happening, I can call him, and he can sort of tell me what to look at, and Sweet. as, yeah, as I've had problems, I've learned more and more, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm okay, I'm not a professional mechanic by any means, but I can certainly you know, make it run if I need to. Yeah, that's important. I I don't know anything about, I mean, I have a basic knowledge of internal combustion engines, but Mm -hmm. I never fixed my BMW. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, BMWs seem a bit tricky, actually. Well, I I mean, one of the things that got me into motorcycles early on was a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, right? And that's all about the BMW and how it's the beauty of it is that you can fix it, but that's the boxer engine. Yeah. And the one I had was a three-cylinder liquid-cooled, uh, total different yeah, kind of thing. Definitely. So I didn't mess with that at right. all. Yeah. But I, when I bought the bike, I was looking for a boxer because I wanted that experience of like, okay, oh, I, cool. I know I want to learn how to you know take it apart, put it back together. And, right. Um, but I ended find up, your zen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never gonna find my zen. <laughs> it's it's lost forever. Um, and where are you from? Oregon? No, I grew up in Utah, actually. I was oh, born and raised. Yeah. Oh, are you one of these former Mormons? No, I'm no. not. Actually, all my friends were Mormon. But my mom, uh, she was born in Key West, but she's from Michi- Michigan. And my dad's from Chicago, and they met in Utah. Oh, all right. So, yeah, not Mormon. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, they moved to the East Coast when I was about 14. So well, I went to school. I studied biology at UNC in Asheville. Uh, so that's where you moved at 14? Well, they moved to Virginia. I moved to Asheville when I was 20. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Yeah. You studied biology, so, yes. right? Yeah. Any particular aspect of biology? Um, I took the really broad version, like the grad school prep. So it was just evolutionary biology and ecology. Right. right. Yeah, all the physics and organic chemistry, and I loved all of it. Right. So. And how did you go from there to to riding motorcycles around? Well, I actually fell in love with motorcycles when I was a teenager. I don't come from a family who rides, but... Um, Your brother must ride, right? Well, I have three brothers. Yeah, he started... He had, a like, a pit bike, but none of my family really rode, mm. you know, at any point. So, um, 
Yeah, I just wanted to ride on the back of any guy's bike who would take me, and I wanted them to go as fast as they possibly could. Oh, like, boy. please do a wheelie. <laughs> and uh, so then I got to a point where I didn't want to need anyone for that experience. And <laughs> when I was 19, I took you out a loan. You are why guys buy motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys. Yeah. So when I was yeah. 19, I took out my first loan and uh, bought a bike off the showroom floor and had to learn how to ride it. What'd you get? I got a Kawasaki Ninja. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) So I took it next door. There was an empty parking lot, and I practiced for a few hours. Um, And then I took it out and met up with a friend of mine, and I ended up wrecking it after my friend and I got split up. Uh, I was doing two things I shouldn't have been, like being on the highway and uh, only having my permit and riding alone. So I ended up wrecking into the median. Ooh. Yeah, just sort of like sliding maybe a good 35, 40 feet um, on the left side of the bike. So eventually the shifter caught in the ground and spun the bike around and threw me off. And grass was going every which way um, on my ripped the shield off my helmet. And I had full gear on, so I was fine. I just lost a little skin like on my hip. But this guy whose house was on the on the highway, he saw the whole thing and he came running down and he was covered in Harley tattoos and was just like, oh, I hate to see a rider go down, especially a girl. It's like, can you just help me get my bike out of here like really fast before the police see? So we moved it out and I had to call my dad and tell him that I bought a motorcycle and then tell him that I also just wrecked it. And he, yeah, he didn't believe me. He was just like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You know, his only daughter, like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. So finally he believed me and he came and picked me up. And um, the bike was not in terrible shape. It broke the shifter plate, which uh, was an aluminum piece. And so my dad's friend can weld aluminum and he had him fix that. So that same day, my dad had me get back on the bike to see if it was fixed and I'm really, really thankful for that because had he not done that, I I might have been really afraid. Yeah. So that was my first day. <laughs> Interesting parental reaction there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm no father, but I imagine if my daughter wrecked her motorcycle that I didn't know she'd bought. Yeah. <laughs> my impulse would not be get back on it. Yeah. Well, okay. So after this, my dad actually, I think he kind of felt like he finally had the permission to go out and buy the Harley that he always wanted. Uh, so <laughs> that's the underlying agenda. Yeah. Right. yeah. So okay. I think he was like, yes, you she know, broke the ice yep. for dad. Nice. Yep. Nice. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They say there, there's this expression I've been thinking about a lot lately. We live our parents unlived lives. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, your motorcycle, maybe you, like, keyed into something that your dad, something that he wanted but didn't know how to go about, and you're like, fuck it, I know how to do it. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And then wreck it. Don't don't wreck it, Dad. (laughs) Yeah, he's been good. Yeah, my parents don't travel, so, Uh, yeah. So, people often ask, like, what do your parents think, you know? And I'm just like, well... I was always the black sheep, and I think they don't really know what to think. But at this point, they they worry, but they're also living vicariously. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reaching that point. Mm. And with my dad, it was always that point, but it took a while for my mom to get there, I think. Okay. Yeah. And even then, I don't know if she was living vicariously, because she just can't, at least then, she couldn't imagine. Yeah. Like... You know what I mean? It's not sure. even like, wow, it must be cool yeah. hitchhiking to Alaska. It was like... Mm. 
Are you like what? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know? my parents are a bit like that too. Yeah, yeah. I remember one time I is when I was going to go to Mexico the first time. I was in college. I was like nineteen or twenty, mm-hmm. and my parents lived in Florida at the time, and I was there visiting them in the holidays, and then I was going to fly to Mexico from there. And my mom was really concerned because I didn't speak Spanish. I'd never been to Mexico. I didn't know anybody. I was just like flying in, see what happens, you know? Yeah. And I remember her saying to me like, honey, like, I don't understand why you want to go to Mexico. It's just like Florida. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking like, okay, her idea wow. of travel is weather. Oh, like okay. what, you know, people go to Mexico because it's warm. Oh, I was picturing Cancun, maybe it's like Miami or something. <laughs> no, I don't think she even thought that. Okay. I think it was just like, you know, it's warm here. Yeah. It's warm there. That's Why hilarious. would you want to go there? Wow. You know? so the whole cultural aspect <laughs> right. just wasn't really on her radar. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, like you, I, I find travel to be. I mean, for me, it was the most... How old are you? 34. 34, yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, until I was, I don't know, late 30s maybe, mm-hmm. or mid-30s, it was like all I wanted to do. Yeah. It was enough. Yeah. But you're doing... You see, what you're doing is cool, though, because I never, I never really did that. I, For me, it was travel just to travel. Okay. What you're doing is... Yeah, I don't is, think I can ever do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, add some purpose, some meaning, some, like... Yeah. Agenda or exploration of something. Definitely. I was just cruising around and whatever happened, happened. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got to a point in my life where I realized that, you know, I didn't really want to exist in this world knowing about wildlife trafficking and not do anything about it. So. Mm. Yeah. Why is that your issue? Uh, well. Sorry, my phone is going off. <laughs> Hello. It's <all> right. <laughs> Oh, it's my Uncle Dan. Oh, Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan. i got to turn this damn thing off. Uh, yeah, Uncle Dan. Did you happen to hear the episode with Uncle Dan? Not yet. I mean, I've heard you talk about him quite a bit, but he's yeah. A, he's a cool guy. Yeah, he's like a he's a mechanic, among other things. He can fix anything. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to take a course or something, a mechanics course, so that I really yeah. have like a good skill set yeah. under me. Anyway, before Uncle Dan called, mm-hmm. uh, I was... See, that's the raw quality of this podcast i could edit that out but why edit it out it was uncle dan yeah if it had been a sales call i did it out you know but yeah uh what was i saying oh the wildlife trafficking why why is that the thing that really triggers you yeah you know so i knew i wanted to be a biologist as soon as i learned what a biologist was and i was eight years old and i never wavered from that Mm. i feel really lucky that i always knew exactly right what area of study I wanted to be right. in. Yeah. And so while I was in university I learned about wildlife trafficking and kind of similar to like meeting you and having the Wade Davis book, you know, sent to me. Mm. Um these things sort of happened in succession where I learned mm. about wildlife trafficking and then I, you know, was introduced to this woman, this amazing woman, Juliana Machada Ferreira. She's from Brazil and she set up uh the first wildlife forensics laboratory in the world in in Oregon and um, so learning about these things and you know while I was in the classroom like first hearing about it it just ignited this fire inside me that was just like 
I couldn't stand it to know that this was happening, to know that wildlife was being, you know, kidnapped out of the forest. Like the mothers are shot down and the babies are taken and then they're sold as pets or they're being reduced to their body parts and taken as medicine that has no scientific backing. All these things just, you know, it just really hit a, a, a key with me and I've always loved animals like I've always known that I wanted to work helping wildlife and so this was something that in that moment I knew I would be devoting my life to to this trade and so after uh-huh. my degree in biology I moved to Southeast Asia because it's the heart of the illegal wildlife trade wow okay so, so you had that direction yeah right away that's mm-hmm. you're right that I mean that's a burden, I'm sure, because that's a really hard battle to be waging. Mm-hmm. But you're right; it's also a luxury. You know, I get so yeah. many emails from people like, "Dude, oh. I'm 25. I don't know what to do with my life. Right. I'm just sliding into this fucking job, and yeah, yeah. Every year they pay me a little more, and mm. my girlfriend wants to buy a house and have Whoa. a baby. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's yeah. like having the kind of focus that you're talking about. And Casilda was the same. She knew mm. from the time she could think she wanted to be a doctor, wow. a healer, yeah, right? sure. shaman, whatever. Like yeah. she was born to do that. There's right. no question. Now, mm-hmm. how to do that is right. that's can be very complicated. Sure. But once you know your trajectory, it's one foot in front of the it's other. It's such a relief, you mm. know, to know why you're here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many people die never having figured that out? Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I yeah, with my love for wildlife and even know, knowing about the trade, I mean, I got to a point where I was, I really felt disdain for humanity, you yeah. know, just like hating humans for all the suffering in the world. Welcome for... to my world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fucking humans. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I just... For what they do to the earth, to the animals, to each other. And I like how you say they. <laughs> humans. <laughs> they, these humans. It's like tourists. You know? <laughs> I'm in a hammock in Costa Rica <laughs> bitching about tourists. Yeah. 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 Certainly we. I know sometimes I forget I'm human. I write like that too. And yeah. I'm like talking about humans. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's me too. <laughs> the thing is, I, I'm torn. You know, I go, I, I sort of go swing between the extremes. Like, and the where I've come down is that individually, I really like people. Exactly. But mm-hmm. collectively, a, yeah, and even small scale, like little hunter gatherer bands, tend mm. to be okay. But yeah, man, you get us together, we turn into a fucking monster. I don't do well in crowds; they make me nervous. Yeah. For sure. Have you been to Burning Man? No. <laughs> You're wearing I have these not. feather earrings that make me think you might be a closet burner. Oh, yeah. I'm, I make all my, my stuff. Oh, do you? Yeah. They're beautiful. <laughs> well, you, you and Casilda are going to have a lot to talk about. Cool, yeah. yeah I feel loves, that. She's been saying, like, I want long feather earrings. Oh, you? I will totally make her some. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> or show her how to make them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, yeah. C- crowds and, yeah, I'm the same. I, mm-hmm. I've i always thought, like, I, I must have watched Nazi movies when I was a kid that scared <laughs> me. Because every time I'm in a crowd and they're all, like, cheering together, yeah. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to go bad. Yeah. You know? Like, right. where, where's the exit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was really nervous to come to L.A. This is my first time in L.A. Oh, right. And, you know, the city makes me a little uneasy. Sure. So, but this is great. Out here in this canyon is, is yeah. amazing. And yeah. L.A. hasn't been as bad 
as I thought it was going to be. So L.A., I mean, if you have to drive at rush hour, it sucks. But if but on you, a bike, the lane splitting, I feel like I can ride yeah. like I'm in, you know, Hanoi or Bogota. Or something. Yeah. The so. problem is there aren't enough motorcycles here. I'm so surprised. I thought I would see more. People sure. don't look for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. In Barcelona, I think Barcelona has the most motorcycles per capita of any city in Europe, if I'm I remember reading that somewhere. Mm-hmm. So in, in Barcelona, you're going between lanes. It. Everybody knows their right. bikes coming down, you know, so yeah. nobody opens their door or switches <laughs> lanes without looking, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's actually the it being busier and more congested actually makes it safer. It does. Definitely. Yeah. And it's insane to be riding a motorcycle around Hanoi and realize that there is an organization to the chaos. Yeah. Because it's this crazy sea of like oh, weaving bikes through God cars. And, and nobody gives a shit about red lights. They're for decoration. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Left hand, left turn into <laughs> oncoming traffic without stopping at yeah. a big intersection. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And you've got mom, dad, two kids and the dog on a 50 Umbrella, CC. baby, yeah. all of the above. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Yeah. I remember tr- crossing a uh, street in Saigon. On foot. On foot. Yeah, that's a crazy thing. And, like, there's no, like you say, if there is a red light, it, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. And so the only way to get to the other side, and these are like six, seven, ten, I don't know how many lanes of traffic. The only way to get to the other side is just start walking. And do not hesitate. And do not hesitate. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. that confuses them. Oh, yeah. And then you get into this double, no, I thought <laughs> yeah. you were stopping it, going. Yep. And Cassie couldn't do it. Oh, and so mm. the only way to get across the street was she would take my hand, close her eyes, wow. and we'd start walking. Wow, that's <laughs> true <she'd> faith. <laughs> with her eyes closed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I feel pretty used to watching out for other vehicles. I mean, I've ridden nearly sixty thousand miles in the past four years, yeah. so I've been riding quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, riding a motorcycle. I, I rode a motorcycle every day for seven years in, mm, in cool. Barcelona. I lived kind of like here. I lived sort of mm. out of the city, but I worked in the city, and I had to. So it was like all the time, every sure. day, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it's a different kind of consciousness. And then you get in a car, and you're like, I don't know. There's, there's. I think there's more awareness. For example, I notice it when you're cruising down the highway and then you come to traffic and you have to slow down quickly mm-hmm. i'm really aware of what's behind me yeah and i'm watching is that guy slowing down does he see it is he coming right. too fast do i need to because on the bike you can brake so much faster than a car yeah you're more likely to get hit from behind when you're braking than the thing you're trying to avoid you yeah, know? yeah definitely have you heard my story about almost hitting the elephant Yes. Yeah. yeah so I, I always think about the elephant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Around the corner. Yeah, definitely. So your first, that accident you had the first day, is that yeah. the only major, really? Yeah. Good for yeah, you. Yeah. And they say every rider goes down. So I feel like I got mine out of the way. Like, yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. Touch wood. Yeah. I went down. Did I ever go down? I mean, I've, I've dropped my BMW once when I was going up a wet curb at an angle. Okay. That like yeah. four miles an hour. That yeah, I've had plenty of those. Yeah, like in yeah. sketchy roads, especially in the north of Colombia, those are the craziest roads I've been on. Yeah, I saw some of those. You were like going through pouring rain and mud oh yeah, and... I was in so much rain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't go down. That's fantastic. Yeah. No. Nothing. Nothing extreme. Just some like slow drops or some slips stuff like that so what do you think about Colombia as you know people who aren't 
you know, motorcycle enthusiasts, but thinking about travel there. Oh my God. It's so amazing. Yeah. I absolutely adore Colombia. And it was like my big travel years. Colombia was totally off the map. Forget about it. Yeah. Like American, you'll be kidnapped on the oh, way, sure. like from the airport <laughs> to your hotel. Definitely. But now apparently it's really safe and the people are, I mean, I love Colombian people. They're so friendly. Yeah. Yeah. They're incredible. So, yeah, I had one sketchy situation, um, and that was sort of in, like, back roads that I shouldn't have been on. Hmm. So if you're staying in the main, you know, highways and the main areas, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. Right. But there are still places where there's still conflict going on, and, um, yeah, those is should it, be avoided. Is FARC still happening or is well the FARC signed an agreement in 2016 so there there's peace on paper but there is still some disputes but there's also other guerrilla you know there's other armed organizations like the ELN and they have yet they're talking about peace but they Mm. haven't signed anything yet right so and you speak Spanish I so when I arrived I was actually speaking Thai accidentally <laughs> yeah right I do that too so I studied a bit of Spanish in high school and I'm not Thai but the brain has like uh, foreign yeah, language totally my own language there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I picked it up um I certainly got a lot better but yeah I I, I for the first few months it, it was a bit frustrating mm, okay so you just so. picked it up while you were there yeah oh wow yeah that's interesting yes uh, and you, what were you riding down there? So I bought a Royal Enfield Himalayan Royal in Enfield. Bogota. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. I mean, I've seen them in India and Nepal. I didn't know they Yeah, exported. it's kind of a new market for them, which is why they were excited, you know, to have me, like, help helping them put it out there. Ah, uh, okay. You and got, like, I don't, a sponsorship deal or something? Well, they were considering loaning me a bike for that amount of time, but they didn't end up having, like, a demo bike to give me, so... They gave me a, an okay deal on one. Mm, um, that's right. And then you sold it at the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. I had crowdfunded to raise money for the bike so that right. I could donate the money to the projects that I visited uh, once I sold it. Good plug for Moto Gypsy on Instagram. <laughs> Is yeah. that your main following on Instagram? Yeah, I think so. You're a really good photographer, too. Well, thank you. Yeah. 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 You... I just use an iPhone, so that's great to hear. I need to step up my technology game for I sure. I don't know. I think the iPhone's serving you well. I mean, it's been good. If I could have a, a camera that was mounted on my bike that could take photos or a video while mm. I'm riding, yeah. that would be amazing because so many times it either doesn't feel safe for me to stop mm, or it's right. like I can't stop. So you know? GoPro? I mean, you could throw I don't know on. because that sketchy situation I just mentioned, like if I had had like equipment that like mounted on my helmet or strapped mm. to my chest, like I wonder if that could have gone differently. Because you look. Like, like I obviously have expensive. No, I have oh, expensive about robbery. gear. Yeah, uh, on me. Like uh, so, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm a little torn about it. I like being, you know, low tech and not having to go through all that footage yeah. and um, just yeah, experiencing it's a hassle. it. But at the same time, like, there's so many beautiful scapes that you know I'm riding through that I would love to share. Yeah, or even just. To have the image for yourself. You totally. Know? Yeah. When you're an old lady, you can yeah. look back. I was a badass <laughs> back in my day. Yeah. Uh, did you, I, I don't know when you started listening to the podcast. Did you hear um, 
uh, Justin Alexander, any of the stuff with him? No, when we first connected, you mentioned him and I sort of looked up some information about him uh, and he was the photos I saw he was on a Himalayan and you mm-hmm. had gone through those what are they the 24 uh, steps of being an adult or I forget oh the rules the for rules. life or something yes. yeah that's yeah and right. there there was right. number one of them said you know your life is not your own so yeah. you know be like value it and uh, or yeah. be, don't take unnecessary risks yeah and that just really hit me because you know we were, Justin was on the same bike, and you know he was missing. Doing a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I took that to heart for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. He still bums me out. He was on the podcast probably three times, and Cassie and I spent a month with him in Thailand mm. a couple months before mm-hmm. he went off off the edge. Yeah, and it was. I don't know if you've heard me talk. I think I talked about this on the part. Him yeah. like riding with no hands and with his feet up on the seat. And it's like, dude, sure. come on. <laughs> I have I a lot of friends that do that, actually. <laughs> See, I, that, that annoys me, uh-huh. you know? Because it's like, do dangerous shit, but do it with intelligence. Yeah, but you'd be surprised how comfortable you can get on a bike and how well you can know it. And some people really can surf their motorcycles. But they shouldn't. <laughs> See, that, that's the point. You're taking yeah. a risk for the. What's the worst that can happen? You wreck and die. What's the best that can happen? You what? You feel like you're cool. I mean, it seems pretty amazing. I I've never surfed I, a motorcycle because yeah. I don't I don't think that I'm capable. You know, I've never tried. But for the people who have done it, and you know, they I'm sure they didn't do it properly the first time there was probably a bunch of times when it didn't go well before they actually got it and they're okay you know they're still alive <laughs> the ones who are the ones who are who, so, the ones who did it on dirt you know or like tried it in a way but but see that's my point it's like on. what you, you got to do the the cost benefit analysis yeah but there's also something to be said for like how how is it that you live your life do you do you live it in fear are you always going to wonder what it's like to surf your motorcycle <laughs> or are you actually just going to try do you think it's really <laughs> that amazing that it's worth risking your i've seen so many people do it that what, what, what about rule number 22 your life <laughs> belongs to your friends and your family as well as you what well, about don't take unnecessary risks i don't frivolous, think frivolously yeah i mean Obviously, I haven't done it, you know, and I, I'm a really safe rider. Like just when I went and visited Roland Sands, like the way that they ride bikes is so aggressive and so crazy. They're always doing wheelies and sliding around. And mm. I don't ride like that. You know, I'm trying to stay healthy. I don't have health insurance. Like I want to keep mm. doing what I'm doing. Right. So, yeah, I, I ride, you know, for the long run, for yeah. the long game. So, yeah, that that's always been my approach. I did a motorcycle safety course uh-huh. once. Um, actually, it was because of that scorpion bite in Guatemala. Now that I think of it, <laughs> so I got—I don't know if you know that whole story—but I got bit by stung by a scorpion in Guatemala, and then I got hepatitis, uh-huh. and then I flew to my parents' house in Pennsylvania, and for like two months, I was just like super low energy and wow. just hanging out. But I was bored as fuck, and mm-hmm. so uh, I saw that the state of Pennsylvania was doing a motorcycle expert. Writing nice. course six weeks or something oh cool 10 weeks maybe uh so once a week you go in and there was some theory and then they had these bikes these i think they were like 
you know, 150 cc's, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you go out on the course and, you know, do all this stuff. Cool. And so I thought, well, I'll do that. You know, I'm stuck here in central PA for the next month or so. Yeah. So I did this thing and it was me and like everybody else who showed up at the class, like rolled in on their Harleys, (laughs) all these biker dudes. And, you know, I came in in my mom's Honda Civic. Nice. And we did the course and uh, it was stuff like, I remember there was like a circle and you'd go around in the circle without putting your feet down, you know, so very low speed, you know, mm. con- balance control. Yeah. There was another thing where you, you had this test at the end. There's like, you'd go down a shoot, they made the shoot with cones and then there's the guy standing at the end. And when they would like make sure your speed was like 35 to 40, Yeah. you go That's down there. Tough. And then as soon as you get like, he would right hand or left hand and ah. you'd have to like make the turn oh, like, okay. real quickly you cool. know mm-hmm. so there are all these things like that mm-hmm. and then the next week we came in and the guy's like well uh got your test results uh this is the first year we've done this course i think we're gonna have to cal- recalibrate some things some shit didn't work the way we thought it did and you, you know you guys are going to be disappointed but blah 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 and he handed out the results and i saw i passed and i was like all right cool yeah and then so one of the guys was like well how many people passed and he said well i won really <laughs> and i was like i gotta get the fuck out of here oh my God. before i get my ass kicked wow yeah nice yeah i was the only one who passed <laughs> i was the pussy who passed <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, probably because I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, they had hmm. they had their habits really built in. Ah, uh, yeah, you're an empty glass. Kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So uh, how long were you in Southeast Asia? Off and on for about five and a half years. And you speak Thai. Yeah, a bit of Thai and Lao because they're very Justin similar. Justin spoke Thai as well. Oh. And he had a family in Northern Thailand that he... Like he actually, the, you know, the family, one of the sons should become a monk. Yeah. The son and his family didn't want to be a monk. So Justin did. Justin did. Wow. And was adopted by the family so wow. that he could fulfill that role for That's them. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I have like a, a family in southern Thailand who I call my sister and Not my mom kidding. and stuff. Yeah. See, you and Justin could have like been the perfect couple. <laughs> <laughs> Or we would have been like, we're too similar. Yeah, Get it out probably, of here. <laughs> uh, what part of Thailand is your family in? Uh, southern Thailand in a, a province. Suratani? Uh, near, kind of near there. Um, five hours north of the Malaysian border in Patalung. Mm. Is that on the Gulf side? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but there's a big lake um, on the eastern side, so you can't quite see the, the Gulf, but this lake is covered in lilies and uh. water birds and... I really love Thailand. It's amazing. There was no tourism in my little town, and so it was epic. But How did you meet them? My, the little family? Yeah. So when I moved to Thailand, I wanted to get my feet wet working as a trade, and so I would just go to national parks and sort of be like, I want to volunteer. And they were like, we don't do that. <laughs> and so when I was in Bangkok, um, I would talk to people about it, and they were like, look, unless you're under the protective umbrella of a larger organization, you shouldn't speak up about these things. Mm. 
So I ended up taking a job as a science and math teacher in the south of Thailand. Mm. So I was at a government school. Um, in a government school? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. So it was a, a public school. It used to be an all-girl school. But you're teaching in English? Yeah, which was hilarious because the kids didn't really speak English. So math was easy because the numbers are the same. Yeah. Um, and this was like, like th- 12, 13-year-olds. And then uh, I taught earth sciences as well. And so I had to use a lot of pictures and videos. And I had a co-teacher, but she didn't speak English either. So we couldn't really coordinate. <laughs> Why do they have English speaking teachers? They were selling it to the parents? Yes. It's like yeah, it, it means you're a better school if you have an English program. Oh, sort of right. thing. So, But it was, it was amazing. It was my first experience teaching. And we used the little microscopes that just have the mirrors you know, they're not mm, electronic, so we would right. take them over to the windows and look at our slides. Yeah, yeah I had stuff. one of those as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was That's really cool. cool. Yeah, so you, uh, and you learned Thai. What was that like? I, I, I took one Thai lesson. It, it's so was, difficult. It Even yeah. just to hear the tones took yeah. me about a year. Yeah. That's why I, I was stuck in Bangkok and I thought, oh, I'll learn Thai. I was <laughs> like, oh, you're teaching Thai. Let's do a class. And yeah, the, all that class taught me was that I'll never learn Thai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why while I was in Colombia, I was so thankful that, you know, things like made sense in the yeah. language and I was just stoked to, to yeah. learn it. Spanish it was is so easy. much easier. Yeah. 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 Spanish. I always tell people like Spanish is a great language to learn. It's relatively easy. And Spanish-speaking people tend to be really relaxed mm-hmm. and happy. So yeah. if you make half sense, they're going to be grateful. Yeah, and I think it's such a beautiful language. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, really? Yeah. And you look kind of Colombian or Latina. And yeah, like yeah, I can pass in a lot of places, which, yeah. which is nice. They can blend in well. It's probably nice that you blend in, but mm-hmm. also maybe a bummer because people expect you to speak perfectly <laughs> they just walk up to you and start talking yeah that Whereas does me, happen they'd like try to talk in english and yeah. then i'd reply in spanish yeah. and it would be cool but right yeah with you it's yeah, just, oh, yeah it chica. is funny when that happens yeah mm-hmm. so what did you see in colombia in terms of the the animal trafficking is the situation improving and well colombia is in such interesting times because yeah. With the signing of the peace accord, all of these areas that were controlled by the FARC and by armed guerrilla, they're now opening up to to science and to discovery. Uh, but that also means that they're opening up to poaching and deforestation and you know more illegal mining, all of those right. things. Development. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it really depends where you are in Colombia. Like Colombia is so different. It's the most geographically diverse country in the world. And um, in each province that they have, um, it's like a different country almost. So depending on if you're in the coast, where law enforcement, especially for wildlife trafficking, is very poor and poaching is very high, you're going to see quite a bit more of, you know, people selling wildlife out in the open and, you know... Poaching is a much bigger issue there. Whereas if you're around Medellin in Antioquia, it is enforced there. Mm. And so poaching has definitely um, decreased quite a bit. So in some areas they have success and in other areas it's it's horrendous and potentially getting worse. When you talk about the coast, you're talking about the Pacific coast? Yeah, Pacific, but also Caribbean as well. Mm. Yeah. So what... 
What are the markets and what animals are being trafficked primarily? So it's really interesting. I didn't, I wasn't aware um, that in places like South America, when they're selling animals for the pet trade in in a domestic market, so they're they're taking endangered species like birds, you know, exotic birds and sloths and monkeys. And they're selling them on the side of the road. And a lot of people go to the coast for vacations. And so when they're driving, they're leaving, they see these animals. And, you know, it's heart-wrenching to see the, the situation that they're in, you know, in cages. Or the birds are, like, tied to sticks. And they're just holding the sticks out on the road for you to stop. So many people buy them out of pity. And I wow. absolutely understand. You know, yeah. you see them, and it's it's heartbreaking. Right. But... The, those people are going to take that money and go get two more. Yeah. You know, so you're just fueling this market. Yeah, man, that sucks when you're... When when educating people is actually asking them to go against their best instincts. Yeah, well, I so I met this couple who are amazing, and they have a wildlife sanctuary, and they had these two uh, cotton-top tamarins, which is one of the most endangered monkeys, and um, they acquired them because they stopped on the side of the road. They saw that they were for sale and they pretended like they were going to buy them. They wanted to hold them and like really check them out. And then they jumped in their truck and drove off and stole, stole them. them. Yes. Ah. So I started I wanted to start this movement called Wildlife Liberation Pirates. Yeah. Where rather, you know, you're just stealing them whatever chance you get. And if you can't steal them, you're going to report them. But whatever you do, don't buy them. So even if people don't feel confident or like it's a sketchy situation to steal them, at least maybe they would know that buying them is the wrong thing to do. So mm. if you if you were to report them, it does depend on, you know, what province you're in. Do the law enforcement care? Right. So sometimes you might have to, you know, you could document the vehicles that do buy the wildlife. And then once they cross into a district where they the law enforcement does care, uh, then they can pull them over. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you have multiple, you can get charged with trafficking. In Colombia, they're actually pretty strict. So they'll impound your car. Huh. Um, yeah, heavy fines. And is the main market this pet market? It's huge in Colombia, but more and more things are being exported um, to Asia. Right. That's what I was wondering. Like, Because yeah. the whole Chinese market oh, is man. so I mean, they just found like a huge seizure of jaguar teeth, which are being sold in China for more than the price of cocaine or yeah. or gold or anything. I think it all comes down to small Chinese penises. You know, I I would love. I don't know what the marketing for Viagra is like in China, but if they just did a better job at marketing that, like perhaps Chinese people would realize like. You might have to go to the hospital for bloodletting, whereas if you consume tiger penis, it might not work. So why not, you know, take the guaranteed result? It's probably cheaper, safer, and you're not killing animals. It's it's amazing how masculine insecurity translates into, you know, fucking rhino horn destruction, you know, in yeah. South Africa and jaguars in Latin America. It's like, it's absurd. Dudes, get it together. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting to see the different relationship with plants and animals from going from Asia to mm. South America. Tell me about that. Oh, you know, the the relationship with life in general, you know, with I don't know if it's the Buddhist background or 
or because yeah, in Laos they've almost emptied their forests. Yeah. There, there's so much poaching going on. I mean, it's bordered, you know, by Vietnam and China, so it's and the borders are porous and there's yeah. corruption. So, I never met a single person in Laos who was a birder, mm. you know, or or who really loved wildlife. Where right. or even like taking care of your pets, you know, like if you have a dog in Laos, usually they just are allowed to scavenge in the yard and that's it. Whereas in, you know, when I arrived in Colombia, I saw people like being really affectionate with, with their dogs and with, with animals. And I met tons of birders, you know, they love birds and I, I felt so thankful. And then, you know, the spiritual relationship with plants and the, the stories that have been passed down through, through that, I, I was really happy to see that. And do you think that comes out of, I don't know if you've thought about this, but do, I mean, do you see that coming out of like native cultures influence? In- I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, like with ayahuasca, like ha- combining those two plants and when people have asked the indigenous, like, how did people ever discover, you know, there's so many plants in the Amazon. Of course, you see the jaguar actually eating the vine, you know, the Banisteriopsis, so you can see the effects it has on it. Like, it looks like it's tripping, rolling around in ecstasy. But uh, to combine it with the bark, and, you know, they say the bark, like, has the spirit of the anaconda. Mm. And so those animals, like, showed them the way to these plants and showed them to combine them. Yeah. It's sort of, and Wade Davis talks about this quite a bit, how it's woven into the language, this communication with the plants. Yeah. With the indigenous tribes, you know, in, in the Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a book called Savages? No. It's a very interesting book. Um, can't remember the author right now. But he worked for Earth Island Institute or cool. something in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s, this letter appeared on his desk one mm-hmm. morning. He came in and there was this handwritten, scrawled letter with no stamp. And it was like, John... Shit, I can't remember. I, I feel like I might even have the book here somewhere. But... Mm. Um, and it was like written in pencil and he opens this letter and it's from a tribe in the Oriente of wow. uh, Colombia. Uh-huh. Right? And one of them, they had someone translate or whatever. And it was like, you need to come here and help us. And, you know, and he's like, how the fuck did this letter get here? What's going on? Wow. And he, but he was like his girlfriend had just left him. And, you know, kind of like your convergence you know of wade davis and all this stuff happening yeah and he was like fuck it and he flew down and he ended up going to the oriente and meeting these people wow and it, it's this story about uh, i think a chevron dumping their oil and mm. the, you know, all this stuff wow and he talks a lot about the ecological diversity like in one hundred square mile area there are more species of plants than in the rest of the world combined it's insane. and yeah it's just yeah. utterly incomprehensible that we're allowing the destruction of the richest part of the world just because it's like out of sight truly people don't know it and like more species of birds than in all of the western hemisphere are yeah. in that one little area it's just crazy yeah i mean columbia 
makes up 0.07% of the, all the land mass in, in the world, but yet they have 10% of all known species. <laughs> so crazy. one in 10 species on the planet is found in Colombia. That entire country should be in, like an ecological preserve. It really should. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I went from deep in the rainforest, like this is a true jungle in Putumayo in the south of Colombia, to the Tatacoa Desert, a, a amazing dry desert still with parakeets flying around eating the fruit off the cacti but in one day <laughs> it was surreal wow. once i arrived in the desert with the starry night sky i was just like how yeah. how is this possible this yeah. is insane yeah how long were you in colombia uh, about seven months wow yeah. seven months mm -hmm. and were you like did you have a tent or were you sleeping in pensiones all the time well or? i brought my tent hammock but I didn't feel like I knew the landscape or the areas well enough to really feel confident enough like I did in Laos to right. just hang it up anywhere. So I was mostly staying, I mean, I stayed at biological research stations and at wildlife sanctuaries and with friends of friends and couch surfing. Yeah, so that's cool. Mm -hmm. How expensive is Colombia for people who are thinking of going down there for a month and traveling around? Yeah, it depends. I mean, if you want to go to like the nice part of Cartagena, where it's beautiful, but quite expensive, then you're pretty much looking at like, um, maybe lower American rates, you know, like a good price for a beautiful hotel, but still dinner might be same prices as in the mm. States. But if you're just out, you know, in the normal little villages, I mean, a coffee will cost you like a quarter and mm. uh, maybe a nice cappuccino would be like a dollar, dollar mm. fifty. Right. So and it's, it's good coffee, I guess. Yeah, very good. It's about a third of the price, I would say. Oh, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. Damn, you got me wanting to go to Colombia. I highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially to see the, the natural areas and yeah. oh, my God, the little villages. Let me know if you go, because I have so many recommendations. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, because there's 34 departments, like states in Colombia, and yeah. I visited 22 of them. Really? Mm -hmm. So I've seen more of Colombia than most Colombians. I, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy here, Ricardo Serpa, a uh, Brazilian photojournalist. I listened to a little bit Did, of that, yeah. That dude's been all over the place. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, we, at the end of it, I don't know if that was on mic or off mic, but we talked about doing a trip together on motorcycles in Patagonia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd love to ride a bike from Oregon down to South America. Like, that's that's in the works, for sure. Darien Gap's kind of heavy. Yeah. But there are ferries, I guess. There you know. are, yeah. And there, it's making it easier for, like, every day I think it gets a little easier. There's companies sort of, like, realizing that motorcyclists need a better way. Yeah. And you could share a container, stuff like that. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Right. So starting to cater to it. Yeah. So back to the animals. So the mm -hmm. pet trade... Um, got some of this Chinese ridiculousness. Yeah. Is there, are there other markets that, I mean, are, are there people targeting the markets? It's kind of hard, I guess, in terms of China, but. The actual market. Yeah. Like. Physical markets. To, to target the buyers, right? To kill the demand. Yeah, there needs to be more, but it's like a massive cultural shift for things like traditional Chinese medicine. Right. You know, like that, that's really. I think they did some good work. Uh, I believe it was the Freeland Foundation. Um, they sort of 
made it less prestigious for people to serve shark fins at right. their weddings or at their corporate get-togethers. They sort of shamed it in a way that right. it was really um, effective for huh. Asian culture. You know, the whole shame, like yeah. personal shaming is, is really like avoided at all costs. Right, losing face. Yeah, exactly. So th- that's actually had a really positive uh, benefit for sharks. Mm. And so it seems like there needs to be more more of that. Yeah, yeah, I think culturally it's like the drug trade you know as long as there's demand there's going to yeah. be coke and know? the war on drug hasn't it hasn't yeah. worked you, you attack know? the source it never works right yeah. yeah and it's really interesting in colombia because um coca production is actually on the rise you know there's like a a trade ag- agreement that happened between the u.s and it's kind of making it so that campesinos like the poor farmers they don't really have much other option and so a lot of them are either destroying the the forests you know these new newly opened places for coca production for cattle of course you know so and when they when they get into those places and they find animals of course they're going to try to exploit them so there really needs to be incentive for them to protect what's there mm. So how did you find the, the situation? It's in a state of flux. Do you feel like, is it getting yeah. better? Is there more international It's attention? so interesting because I really, like, I think I'm very hopeful in general. Like, I'm one of the few hopeful conservationists you'll meet. But um, Colombia could go so many different ways. It really feels like they're at a fork in the road right now. Right. There are these areas where they, they could extract all the resources, you know, logging, um, mining, taking the wild, wildlife or they could protect them and have it be more like of a long-term sustainable harvesting um, ecotourism, really push those things. Right. So anyone who's planning, who's listening to this, thinking of going to Colombia, focus on the ecotourism. Definitely. Make sure you target your money toward that to support that kind of and it's so worth it. It's so absolutely beautiful. Yeah. You know, like we, we have uh, six species of hummingbird here in the States. And in Colombia, they have about 167. <laughs> it's unreal. You can't say about 167. Well, species is a, you know, it's a variable <laughs> yeah, that's true. term. So. Species, I asked, you know who Franz Duvall is? The, he's a familiar. primatologist. Oh, yeah. Bonobo expert. Right, yes. I was talking with him on the podcast once and I was like, we're talking about species. You don't ever ask that you question. Remember that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. What the fuck is a species? We don't know. Nobody knows. It's yeah. just a word we use and pretend we know what it means. Exactly, it like gravity. Yeah, like gravity. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. Yeah, I do too. Gravity. We talk like, oh, it's gravity. Yeah. What the fuck is gravity? You're not sure. Yeah, yeah, and everybody talks like the mysterious action at a distance. You know, oh, with you know, with spinning. It's so interesting. But that's gravity. Gravity's action at a distance, but we don't think about it because it's so commonplace. Yeah. But it is. It's one thing not touching another thing that's affecting its trajectory. You know. Yeah, I've I've been tripping out lately over quantum coherence. Have oh you? boy. Yeah, it's the best example of that is through photosynthesis. Is that the like the thing acts as if it has a. You send it through a split, uh, through slits. Oh, the double split experiment? Well, that, yeah, the spin, right? So, uh-huh. they, so yeah, let me... Remember. Well, that's a part that's, of it. That's, that's quantum entanglement. Entanglement, yes. right, right. So this this is like a... Oh, this we- is taking a weird turn. <laughs> so tell me about yeah. monkeys and quantum physics. <laughs> 
it's all related. It's all it related. really is. Sure. We're all connected. That's why I love studying science because it really shows like how yeah. little we know and right. how connected we all are. Right. So we've never been able to um, reproduce the efficiency of photosynthesis, hmm. and um, w- we've found that the we, I mean, the scientists have found. Oh, now you're a human. human. Yeah, now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you want to be a good human. I'm a smart human, yeah. not a destructive human. So they found that th- uh, when the sun's energy um, mm. is in contact with the chlorophyll molecules, they all vibrate in this way that's in uh, the same alignment and with the same frequency, like a liquid crystal. And so there's this this ability for the energy, the sun's energy, to move to the reaction center in a way that it's exploring all best possible routes to get there at once and it's taking the most efficient route Hmm. so that results in like a one-to-one energy transfer so it's just this crazy thing that we didn't really realize that quantum properties were imbued into these wet biological systems and Hmm. yet we see it you know in in every leaf so yeah man do you ever (laughs) feel like there's this there's this um passage from a T.S. Eliot poem we shall not cease our explorations and the end of all our travels will be to return to where we began and know the place for the first time mm, I like that a lot yeah I think about it so much hmm. it kind of feels as if the how to say this it's like the 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 destination of knowledge is where where we started right like, and like we need to learn all this shit so we can get back to a point of realizing there was no eyes. need. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Or like we already knew it's that. Right. Totally. It's that, uh, you know, the prodigal son story, mm-hmm. the one who goes Cyclical. out and explores and comes home. And, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's that's really beautiful. It's like all that thinking, quantum mechanics and, you know, energy transference and solar power play and all the, and how do we get to a hundred percent efficiency? You know, we're at like 22 or something now with solar panels and Uh it's like, oh, it's all around us. Right. We just didn't notice. Well, I, I'm really excited for the research that is being done with plants, you know, like the plant intelligence, because it just seems like. They contain so much information. They're so much older than we are, you know, and you can store so much within DNA. Mm. And I, I can't remember if Stamets or Stamets, Stamets yeah. was on your podcast or Not Joe yet. Rogan's. No, okay. he was great episode I on know. Joe. Yeah, when he talks yeah. about the mycelial network and how, yeah. I think he said even within this lifetime, we would be able to um, interact with that and, um, and send information through it potentially. You know, like that, that's incredible. And yeah, what you were saying about coming back to the knowledge that we always had, like when you think about fractals and how like the Mm. tiny is so, um, it's like the same method, the same pattern that we see on the grander scale out into the universe, into the like galaxies and it's it's really mind blowing. And yeah, yeah, I, I used to have a quite a bit of anxiety, like in my early 20s, just like, how is everyone acting like all of this is normal? Mm. This is highly improbable that we're here, that we've created all of this. You know, I, I would st- like stay up at night, like crying. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think I just got to a point where it was just like, well, I might as well just enjoy it and live life in the ways 
where I'm pursuing all of my passions because I don't know what this is or why we're here. I don't really want to conform to society. So bye. <laughs> Where's that come from? That awareness of just how wild and mysterious life is. Cause I, I felt it too. Yeah. I, 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 and I've always felt it like, yeah, that sense of like, why is everyone acting like this is normal? Like, don't you realize all of this is just contrived? It's so bizarre. I don't know. I'd like to imagine that everyone has had a glimpse of it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's true. You know, some, a lot of people are sort of like, that's just how things are. Actually, I was married at the time and my husband was like, duh, like this is, it is normal. You know, this is life. <laughs> Welcome. That's, that's when you said bye. <laughs> yeah. You were married. Yeah, I was married to a Brazilian. Wow. Yeah, he's an amazing man, but we didn't really know each other before we got married. How so. old were you when you got married? I had just turned 24. So, yeah, I was mostly 23 when we met. And he worked for Outward Bound. So he was actually gone for a lot of the seven months that we knew of each other's existence before really we got married. Really good for a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Keeps it hot. Oh, man. I'm like, yeah, I, f- I felt like I've been looking for my osprey, which I've talked to an ornithologist, and they're like, well, we're not really sure if ospreys do this, but uh, you know the bird, the osprey? Uh-huh. They're badass. You right. know, they, like, build these nests, these huge nests, oh, very yeah. high you up. Oh, yeah, see them on power lines yeah. and stuff. Yeah, massive sticks, and they protect them for life. They live there for life, mm. and they're very territorial, so you can see them battling in the sky to protect mm. these nests. And they mate for life. So they, um, they overwinter in separate warmer locations, tropical locations, and they return each year to the same nest and have another baby, have another they chick. They vacation separately. Yeah, and come back to this super solid foundation that's, you know, there waiting for them. So that's I've always felt like I'm looking for my osprey, you mm. know, like where we can have that solidity, that um, Sort of intermittent loyalty. solidity. Yeah, yeah, I don't... I mean... Yeah, I when I leave, when I go abroad and do these things, I feel like I'm in school, you know, like I'm not doing touristy things, like mm. I'm learning all the time and often I have no service or Wi-Fi, you know, I'll like be in the jungle by myself at a research center. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to be able to go out and have those experiences, which I adore, especially being on a motorcycle alone, you know, but know that there's someone who's also learning and doing his own thing like yeah it's it's really beautiful yeah be able to come home yeah and I think I found that I just met him like uh well we've known of each other professionally for more than a couple years now and we started talking pretty much every day since late February and he's one of my heroes in the world of anti-wildlife trafficking Mm. Uh, so I really admire and respect him and so we met for the first time a couple weeks ago what really oh that's cool I rode out into the desert and uh, we met at at sunset out of hot springs so (laughs) it was very amazing (laughs) it's all downhill from there was that in Oregon uh, yeah. Is that why you canceled your earlier trip to L.A.? No. Oh. No. The, no. Yeah. Uh, he's super busy, and he he doesn't actually have, like, a home either. He's uh, always moving around right. and stuff. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's... I like that. I mean, of course, you know, kids and all that kind of stuff can... Is another consideration. But I like I like the, the idea of a um, solid relationship that has 
space in it. Definitely. That's really important. Yeah, well, I... I'm more monogamous than you are. So. <laughs> it's just my reputation. Don't believe what you hear. Yeah. So for me, like, it's just good to have that, like, one person in my mind that's, like, really motivating. And it's all I really need, which yeah. is it's good. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I've, I've missed? I feel like we, we veered off into quantum mechanics. Yeah. And- so what about like a website? Is there a website where people can contribute? Or? Well, that's one of the reasons I'm here. This angel of a woman reached out to me and she wants to build me a beautiful website. And we did a lot of like really interesting filming this weekend, which I've never done before. Ah, nice. So yeah, there will be, I'll have a website soon. I actually, there is a Moto Gypsy website up, but I did not make it in like... It was a surprise when I found it. And this person who... Oh, I remember you yeah, posted about they that. They paid for it to be hidden, for their identity to be secret. Right. And they wrote in first person as if they were me. And there was like grammatical and spelling errors. So it was really... I don't direct people there. But Very it, mysterious. Did you ever find out who it was? Yeah, it was an old boss who was doing me a favor. <laughs> in a very interesting way um so yeah i i Mm. haven't been the person he hired to create it like wasn't responding to me for a while so i just you know i was so busy in columbia and stuff so still resolving that so it's pretty funny like yeah i have a website but it's not mine yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. so the best place for people to find you is on instagram moto gypsy and you said what your next trip was? I forget. Yeah, I will be heading to Peru in February oh, right. for a Jaguar conservation project. Right. And I don't know what kind of motorcycle I'll end up on. Oh, but you're going to have a bike for that? Too? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I, I plan on spending a good amount of time um, visiting other projects. And I spent some time with the Kogi in the north of Colombia. Mm-hmm. And they're... Do you know about the Kogi or Very the? Little. I've heard of them. Yeah, they're incredible. Actually, I mean, a friend of mine's on her way there now. Really, I just got an email from her a few days ago. Interesting. She's, I wonder what she's doing because they yeah. they're not welcoming to outsiders. Oh, okay. Um, but they, you know, they believe that their purpose here on Earth is to be protectors of the planet, and mm. um, they believe that the Earth is a living being and uh, it's the Great Mother, and so you know the streams and rivers are her veins and digging into her like mining actually hurts her and they're the elder brothers and we the younger brothers are you know causing destruction leading to our demise and a couple of them are traveling around the world now like giving presentations amazing yeah those might be Arawako maybe Mm. they're Kogi that that would be great but uh, yeah Wade Davis actually he sent me an email. It was actually the, like the kindest email I've ever received. But he was saying how, you know, what I what I had been sharing with my time with the Kogi in their territory was reminding him of, you know, when he was first young at, there in Colombia and um, realizing that this could be his life, venturing, you know, sleeping wherever he hung his hat and just seeking out these plants and learning from the indigenous people. Um, so yeah, that was really great to hear. Um, Mm. but we set up camera traps together to, um, take photos of the tapir. It's like a a very ancient mammal related to the rhinoceros and horse. And kind of like an anteater. It looks like one. Yeah. Yeah, It's a bit bigger, shorter nose, but still has that like a little bit of a trunk of Mm. proboscis. Um, so it's prime prey for the jaguar. And so we saw tapir and jaguar tracks. And with the Kogi, we set up um, a camera there. And 
I mean, they, they never put shoes on because they don't want to break their connection to the earth. And, you know, I took my shoes off too and drank from their rivers and uh, slept in their huts. It was amazing. So seeing like that um, harmonious way of life that can exist and realizing what um, incredible stewards um, indigenous people have often proven to be, I'd really like to get more involved with, the, you know, securing indigenous rights and not not allowing conservation areas to to kick them out when when they've lived the way they've lived you know for centuries and are in harmony with the land so i hope to take part in more projects that protect both habitat for wildlife as well as indigenous people so i'll be yeah i'll be searching for those and i just want to help share stories of these people who are Warriors, you know, for the environment. They're really on the front lines of conservation. And um, any more focus um, can bring them more support, more potential funding. And I really think that by focusing on the positive things, you know, we can spread successful initiatives elsewhere and let more of those things manifest. So, yeah, that, that'll be my mission. I plan to go into Ecuador. I was kind of initiated when I went into Ecuador. I had a really tough time when I, mm. when I was there. And so I want to go back. Health-wise? No, no. Just, like, crazy situations happening nearly each day. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know if you want me to go sure. into it. I have so many stories. Yeah, tell stories. <laughs> I'm not in a hurry. I just, okay. Whatever you're you're willing to share. Yeah, know. yeah. When I uh, so when I first crossed into Ecuador it's from um, Colombia. From Colombia, yeah. I took the trampoline of death to right. the end of the world and then headed south across the border into Ecuador from there. <laughs> go to the end of the world yes. and then go south. Just go south. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the world is this huge waterfall. It's amazing waterfalls. Putumayo is an incredible Amazonian region in the south of Colombia. And it's been very hot, you know, like with drug activity for a long time. So it was still, I mean, people are kind of surprised that I took that border crossing. But uh, really what I encountered was hundreds of Venezuelan refugees oh, at yeah. the border. And, you, you know, you could tell they'd been there for a long time just camping out yeah. and it was really a dire situation. And, you know, one person working on the Columbia, at the Columbia desk, one person working at the Ecuadorian, stamping in and out. And, you know, it was just crazy. Like, a woman lost consciousness. There was no air conditioning. She passed out. And, like, there were sick children crying, you know, at a medic desk. It was just, it really, like, it made me, it was palpable, like, how fortunate I was to have this, American passport where all I needed was a stamp and I would be on my way where who knows how long they'd be there, you know, and what they left and where they're going. So that that was my first day. And then the next day I was riding from Lago Agrio to Quito, which is about 380, 360 meters above sea level to more, more than 4,000 meters. And this was... I. Didn't I had crossed the Andes a couple times already, so I was I didn't really think anything of it, and mm. I totally underestimated this pass. Right. Actually, that's the day I was really thankful. I mean, your podcast has been with me, like keeping me company in in the craziest of places. That was the one with Peter Gorman. Yeah, yeah, it was such a good who, podcast. Who said funny stuff about Wade? Oh Davis. my god, saying he was like a Cadillac. I hated that guy. Hated him because he's so good looking. <laughs> so good looking. <laughs> Always has long, full-length leather yeah, jacket. Yeah, duster. Goddamn, a duster. Yeah. Exactly. 
I laughed so much that yeah. day. And that was like, it was raining quite a bit. Uh-huh. So I was soaking wet, you know, and I was like heading up the mountain. Uh-huh. And um, I got to a point where I was so cold, I had to stand up on the pegs to keep myself warm. My hands and my feet were totally numb. And uh, the road, it was, it was the most surreal thing I've ever seen. It looked like dry ice just like moving around on the road and everything started to get white and so I actually pulled over to take a video and my bike just quit because it's carbureted so the air was oh, getting too thin, too thin yeah. and uh, you know I was so cold I was like I can't mess with this here so I just got my bike running and just had to like keep it pinned in second gear and the road just kept climbing and it just eventually there was like no visibility it was all white and you know I was alone like on this road just like am I gonna make it? Are you gonna get uh, altitude sickness too I mean that would fuck you up I mean if anything happened to me at that point you know yeah. like if I got stuck where I was like I don't know I just knew I had to keep going was there other traffic or were you pretty much once alone? in a while you could see like a dim haze of, of lights you know going in the opposite direction but that was very infrequent <sighs> and so I started seeing these signs for spectacled bear crossings and I had actually named my bike Oso after Oso and Dino like the only um, South American bear mm. and so I was just like hoping like I all this motivational hope like went to actually spotting one of these bears that I would love to see and so that was that was like a driving force for me to keep going and then eventually you know I got to the peak and I could see on the other side like it w- there was blue sky and you know patches of blue and also like golden grasses like dry golden it was a totally different ecosystem on the other side so mm. i knew i had made it mm. and then the road started descending and it started getting warmer mm. and i was just like oh thank god so i arrived into quito the next day um i was planning to leave and i was still really cold so i went to this rock climbing gym that also had a sauna and the sauna was kind of tucked in the basement in a corner, and I'd cranked it up to 70 degrees Celsius. And I was inside there when I realized that the doorknob was broken and I was trapped. <laughs> and they were grinding metal outside so no one could hear me screaming. <laughs> like, the doorknob components were totally missing. They were, like, broken and gone inside the doorknob, so... I actually cut my hand, like, trying to do everything I could to get the doorknob open. And so there was, like, blood on the door and all over my hand. And it, it was terrifying. Yeah. It was, like, a true nightmare. And it was just like, man, I survived this Andean pass Freezing. and all these things. And now I die in the place I'm supposed <laughs> to be heat. relaxing. <laughs> yeah, a place to, like, restore. What? So how'd so you get out? finally, somebody heard me. And it even, it even took them a little while to be able to, like, break the doorknob to get it open. Oh, man. It was super intense and you're like really hot you got all that adrenaline oh your yeah heart's going you've yeah. been struggling totally that's super dangerous it was really intense yeah so yeah the next day i ended up like riding in a bunch of really cold rain to get to otovalo this beautiful town but it was just like kind of a rough day the following day i ride out this like in the middle of nowhere to get to um a protected forest where like then it's like a two-hour mule ride and trek in the mud to get up to this pristine primary forest and then when i arrive there's a 5.7 magnitude earthquake of course <laughs> yeah and so um 
Yeah, thankfully after that, I, uh, I had some like time alone in the jungle that was rejuvenating. <laughs> but I was so thankful to be back in Colombia. You know, I was just uh, like, Ecuador was so intense while I was there. Yeah, so, it's funny. I always think of Ecuador as like the, the most relaxed kind of country in that region. I know, I know. Like, I can't wait to go back. There's volcanoes and projects that I, I want yeah. to see. But yeah, Ecuador definitely gave me a run for my money. <laughs> uh, but it's funny because I was so... I felt so comfortable and happy to be back in Colombia, and that's when I slipped up. I like went on these back roads that I shouldn't have, and um, yeah, yeah uh, I had some extra time between Popoyan and Cali, and I, I looked on my map, and there was some green off to the side, and like, oh, that looks nice, and it even said Reserva, and it'd be a perfect detour to get to Cali. So I take this road, and I'm thinking, you know, to myself, like, oh, it's so amazing. I'm traveling alone. I can take any detour I want, and. Um, you know, there's coffee growing here. It seems really safe. And so I'm on this like tiny dirt road for a couple hours. And then the dirt road kind of goes downhill. And I see that it's like shaded by trees and there are some men in the road. And so, you know, that's interesting. But I just keep going. And as I get closer, I realize there's quite a few, like maybe 25 men. And then, you know, I'm closer and closer. And I see that they're on both sides of the road. And when I get to a point where I can't turn around, they stand up and they lift a cable so that I, like, I can't pass. And, you know, they make this sound like, whoa, like, look what we got when I roll up. And so I'm, like, right as close to the cable, you know, as I can be. And I'm just, like, do I, like, they surround my bike. They rush it. And they're so, they're all around my bike. And I can hear someone yelling, turn her bike off, turn her bike off. And this pretty tall, intimidating guy to my right looks at the key in the ignition and then looks at me and he doesn't touch it so I feel like that's kind of a good sign but I'm thinking like what do I do you know do I like throttle it and try to take out this cable it seems like there's quite a few men holding both sides and, and they're not armed or I didn't see uniform. any weapons there were um a couple young guys who had bandanas over the bottom part of their faces um, mm. So, and I'd heard about these things, like these roadblocks where they extract money, goods, mm. maybe even kidnap people. So I'm just like, fuck, you know, like, fuck. And, I, you know, my body just enters into You're wearing this, a like, full helmet with a visor? Yeah. Full, but you open the visor? Yeah, the visor's open. My bike is packed, like, with both bags on the back. And they and, can tell you're a woman just from how you're dressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm, yeah, you're they, pretty clearly a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they asked me like, "Where are you going? And where are you from?" Yeah. You know, I'm just like, "Shit, I don't know if I should lie in this situation. Like, what does it mean to be an American?" So I end up, you know, telling them that I am from the states and I'm going to Cali, and you know, they sort of ask me what I'm doing, and I I felt safe like up until that point, and telling police officers and things that I'm a journalist, you know, and I'm docking, documenting environmental projects against the trade. But in this situation, it didn't really feel safe. You mm. know, they often kidnap journalists. Um, so I told them that I was a teacher and um, that I wanted the world to know what a beautiful country Colombia is and how good its people are. And so in that moment, this guy kind of out of the left, he steps forward and he says, he, he has really kind eyes, which I'm so relieved to look into. And he says, we're not bad people. 
And he starts to tell me the story about how further down the road there are bad people and they will steal motorcycles. So this is a checkpoint to make sure that that doesn't happen. Which doesn't really make sense. Like, why is there so many men here in the middle of the road, but like in the middle of nowhere? But I go along with it. And, um, you know, so he wants to check my document, my property card and stuff. So I turn my bike off and I open up my tank bag and everybody leans in closer to see what I have in there, which is just bananas in my thermos. And so I give them the bananas. And, um, yeah, they let me go with nothing, which is absolutely amazing. You know, I, 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 it could have gone so many ways. And I feel like in that moment when that, guy stepped forward and said we're not bad people it took that path right and uh, so I said like if it's dangerous further down the road like I'm gonna turn around I don't want to go that way and he was like oh no no it's safe now it's safe now there are police down there and one of the older guys who was there was like next time take the Pan American Highway (laughs) like I will but I do look forward to the days when I can joyride Columbia's back roads because it's so beautiful Mm. but I believe they proved me right you know they are they are good people at least to me (laughs) yeah yeah it's funny being a woman traveling alone can work for you or against you. totally absolutely and yeah people often ask I mean often ask me if I'm afraid but also you know like do you carry weapons and I do, like, I have mace and a couple of knives, but the, they wouldn't have helped me in this situation. And yeah. I truly believe my greatest fe- defense is compassion. You know, just, like, identifying with the humanness in, in them. And, I mean, it's worked for me so yeah. far. So Yeah. Well, I hope it keeps working for you. I think so. I've got some pretty good guardian angels working overtime. Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt that, too. Yeah. I... I don't know if you've heard me tell the story about, like, I traveled with a knife in my boot for a long time, mm-hmm. and this guy picked me up. And mm, Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, after that, I I gave that knife away uh-huh. and never had weapons after that. Oh, okay. Just, I spent a fair amount of my time crouched next to my bike eating fruit that I forage for, so I need knives for sure. Oh, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I've had knives for yeah, okay. that kind of thing, but, yeah. but I mean... You don't keep them in your boot. I'm not going to stick anybody. Sure. Yeah, I don't think... That's not going to work out very well for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that guy. Yeah. Listen, yep. Moto Gypsy, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Janelle. So nice to meet you after Absolutely. all this time. Like, yeah. It's almost, it's weird meeting. I mean, I guess it's both ways in this case. Totally. You know, you've heard my voice. I've seen your image so I much. know. Yeah. It's it's a bizarre world we're it's inhabiting together. World. But now we're like 3D. We're actually in the same place at the same as time. As far as we can tell. It's true. <laughs> it's true. There could be quantum entanglement <laughs> happening here. This is a holograph. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that. If you did and you'd like to support the podcast, please do through patreon.com. Also, as I mentioned earlier, anything, if you're buying stuff through Amazon and you go through the link on my page, some of that money kicks back toward me at no extra expense to you. And that's also very helpful. Also, people sometimes just uh, do a PayPal, uh, whatever you do. And if you don't have extra cash lying around, don't worry about it. Um, Tell your friends about the podcast, throw up a a comment on iTunes or whatever app you're using. That's all very helpful. 
And uh, at least 10%, probably more like 25 or 30% of the money that comes in from you guys goes on through my hands into someone else's hands who needs it more. So if that makes it more comfortable for you, that's that's the case. I'm not saying that to, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that to try to be cool or, or tell you how fucking like Gandhi I am or something. I'm just like, that's just the way it works. So if that uh, is helpful for you, then it's good to know because it is your money after all, right? Anyway, thank you very much. I'll be going to Bali, by the way, uh, the month of January. I'll be in Bali for a few weeks. And uh, I already have a couple of uh, very interesting podcasts lined up to record down there. So those of you who support the podcast financially helped me buy that ticket and are helping me rent a room and, you know, all the rest of it. So once again, I really appreciate having you along for these journeys. All right. Say hi to Carsey Blanton. She loves you. And she's reminding you that uh, you're going to die one day. So get it while the getting's good. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. body is an animal, doesn't ask for much, a little music and a soft touch, why don't you let it out to play, your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest, you wanna shut it up but give it a rest, you're gonna die one day. to the ground.